Hello and welcome to the Swan Song Project podcast. My name is Ben Buddy Slack and I'm the founder of the Swan Song Project. We're a charity that helps people facing their lives to write and record their own original songs. If you'd like to find out more about the charity, you can check out our website, which is swansongproject.co.uk. You can also follow us on our various social media channels. That will be in the description to this episode. The podcast features a range of songwriters and we talk about one of their songs, tell us a bit about how they wrote it, they share a songwriting tip, and we also talk about a song that's meaningful to them in some way related to bereavement. This episode features Pat Fulgoni. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, so today I'm here with Fat... Uh, fat. <laughs> <laughs> What are you saying? Good, good start, isn't it? It's been a while. <laughs> we'll try that again, shall we? Okay. <laughs> okay. Today I'm here with Pat Falgoni. Falgoni, isn't it? Pat Falgoni. Yeah. Falgoni, yeah, yeah. I'll get it right this time. Okay, today I'm here with Pat Falgoni. Thanks for joining me, Pat. No problems. No problems. Love it. Um, this is Swan Song Project podcast. If you've seen these before, heard them before, we'll do them in three parts. First, we're going to put up my guest songs. We're going to talk a little bit about how they wrote that. Then section two, Pat's going to share with us a songwriting tip. And then section three, we're going to talk about a song that's meaningful to Pat in some way related to bereavement. So uh, I'll hand you over now and ask you to introduce your song for us, please, Pat. Right, so the songwriter... <laughs> you might have to rewind that as well. Good God. <laughs> um, so the song I'm going to play is um, a collaboration with a, a young drum and bass artist called Kino. And it's um, called As One featuring Pat Fulgoni, and it was released about four years ago on Hospital Records.
the end of it. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. So that was uh, As One by Kino featuring Pat Forgoni. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a cool song and uh, it's a cool video as well. Thank you. Uh, so what can you tell us about writing that? So it's collaboration uh, with Kino. How did that go? Yeah, well, I pulled it out, right? I, I, I'm sat here looking for things to do and I found the album. Oh, and nice. uh, it was on picture disc, which I really like. Look at that. That's wonderful. I wish I could do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess I started that track really, um, and um, it existed as a vocal originally. Um, I was hanging around waiting for the birth of my son, and I was also, um, so that's in it. Um, I was also concerned about the plight of refugees, so that's in it. There's kind of like um, a sea shanty vibe to it, you know, you, you might have clocked the lyrics. Um, and um, I really didn't know what to do with it, to be honest. I, I didn't know whether to release it as myself or... And then, and then as I do, I got a request from a few um, drum and bass producers over the years. And um, one of them was this young lad from Manchester. And um, there was something about his music. It, it, it kind of really impressed me. And although it's a bit weird kind of agreeing to collaborations when you've not met people before, over over the internet, it can be quite freaky. There was just something about his, his fusion. It, it, it struck me he was really into impressionist composers like Claude Debussy, who I really like. And obviously he was really into drum and bass and it was quite kind of quite fresh sounding. And I thought, oh God, all right, I'll give you this vocal. You know, remix it for us then. If you really do like, as you say, what I'm doing is, is a vocal, let's see what we can do with it. And of course he got back to me. He was still at Manchester University. And he did this amazing remix and it was exactly as I imagined it, this huge orchestral surface with these vocals over the top, excellent production on the vocals, you know, brilliant, brilliant technique to his production. And he ended up being signed by Hospital Records, which was one of the labels that I've been working with as a kind of like a co-writer or a session musician within drum and bass circles. And um, that became his first single, I think, for that label. Um, and um, it was good. It was good. You know, it, it uh, kind of helped establish him. Got my got my my voice out there in another direction, which is what it's all about. I mean, as you can probably tell, I do lots and lots of different styles, from blues to recently trap music to, <laughs> to um, you know, I've done all kinds psychedelic stuff. You know, and um, it was just really fresh to uh, get this uh, this kind of classical drum and bass tune yeah. back and then released. Yeah, it must, be, it must be an exciting way of doing things that way, of working with so many different people and the different directions it pulls you in, I guess. And does that, is yeah. that, do you do that way? Because I always imagine with um, collaborations like that, I always imagine it being the other way, like the producer sends a track, here's an instrumental track that I've got, can you put a vocal down over it? Is that, yeah. does, it does it happen this way quite a lot as well, where you send a, and was that just like, just a bare vocal track you sent over, just, just the singing with yeah, no just, instrumentation? I've these ideas for a while. It was kind of a nice melody I've been working around with, thinking, yeah, you know, this, this really worked well on something, you know. So it, it was quite rare. N normally it's bottom up, but this was top mm. down, if you like. Um, and um, yeah, he really liked it. And um, he, he wanted the opportunity to work with me vocals because he'd heard them on, I think, artists like Camel and Crooked who are quite large. But a lot more mainstream, you know. This is I like. I really like this. It's had a nice underground flavour. It's quite fresh, and um, it kind of worked in that way. But sometimes you get given um, a kind of a dance track, 
and then you've got a lever of vocals on top of it, which mm -hmm. can be quite tricky because obviously things are quite exact um, when you do dance music and drum and bass and any kind of organic instrument can be a challenge yeah. to make it sound half decent over the top of it. Unless, of course, they're going to chop it up and make you sound like Cher. <laughs> obviously, I don't want them to do. <laughs> uh, that's always a good way to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cher approach. Yeah. Um, I don't know why yeah. I'm constantly surprised with you know, finding different different people's approaches and different ways of doing things. Like, it, make, you know, it makes perfect sense that people do things from all angles and that some people will do vocals first and do that. And But I'm constantly surprised when I find out a new genre or, or someone else's way of working. But like... The more, the more I hear about it, the more it makes sense that, you know, whatever your specialty is, you can start from that and yeah. people work in different ways, don't they? I think so. I think so. I mean, with a lot of other genres, you, you do tend to start with the, the instrumental first, mm. to be honest. And then you've got this whole thing, um, you know, what words don't you like? I mean, that's quite important because you could find yourself um, delivering a lot of work on something uh, uh, and um, it's just the one word that really annoys the producer i mean that could be love you know not everyone wants the word love in a track do they mm. um some people like it to be a bit more fierce and manly or, or whatever so you kind of got got to get your head around what they they want and and if you've not met the producer before that can be quite tricky yeah um and to get like because i guess like you know lots of songwriters will work from a melody first as well um, but like when, when going to a different producer, like did you have, um, did you have an any kind of idea of what you thought the music to that melody yeah. would be, or, so, and was it was it completely different? And like, how does that feel? I guess handing it over, not knowing what's going to come back. I had a good idea in in, in this scenario. I had a good idea of what mm. was going to happen. It was blatantly obvious what he was going to do. I wanted to sing on some strings, you know, and that's what he he did. So it was, you know, it was pretty obvious what was going to happen. Um, it was really, really lush. But obviously sometimes if you demo, you can demo over chopped up tracks, you know, you can demo over beats, you can, you know, I play the keyboard, for example. So um, if we go into, you know, if we're talking about, you know, songwriting tips in this section, um, a lot of my songwriting, uh, my early songwriting happened with my band Carver Carver. It was like a four piece band originally and we, we expanded that to incorporate horn sections later and stuff like that. And um, we'd always have to start a track somehow. And um, some of the tracks I'd start, definitely in later years with my keyboard, a Juno 106, which is really fat keyboard. And um, a couple of the tunes that ended up in um, US film and TV were ones that started off with this big fat squelchy riff. And then we'd put the beats around that and then the guitarist would you know, put, do his thing. and. You know, and I'd sing over the top of it, you know, um, just bit by bit, you know. Mm. Um, so there's definitely many, many different ways you can write a song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you say you've done quite a lot of this um, collaborating, in, and especially across different genres and things like that. Um, how do you find the, I mean, how do you find that in general? And is there, is there like, I guess there are various ways of doing it, but do you get a lot of, with like a vocal that's a bit like this, or lyrics that are a bit like this, and... What do you mean? Um, like request? Do you get, yeah. Do you get like, do you get like a brief with things or like, is it much more like a, an open, just play around with some ideas type thing? It's hard, isn't it? I mean, I'm, I've worked with lots of different people. Like one interesting one was, um, have you heard of Gary Lucas, the, the guitarist 
like yeah captain beefheart's guitarist and yes, yes he actually did chris cornell's guitars on his on his on his um album debut oh, album. Wow. and um i'm in a bit of a you know project in in prague with him kind of it's been going on for donkey's years and um he laid the guitar down in prague i hadn't met him i i then got to prague and i, I put down this weird vocal that you know it's a million miles away from commercial drum and bass you know this is this is quite scary music in places to be totally honest it's probably belongs more in a horror soundtrack <laughs> you know and um so i did my thing and thankfully they liked it you know and uh, i met him years later in america and uh, we had a laugh going oh yeah you nailed that one i was going phew because <laughs> um, lyrics you know i mean uh, i think the the owner of the studio had given me the, the general plan to incorporate Prague ghost stories so at least I knew mm. that it had to be a bit spooky and um, was that a guitar track you're working to there yeah yeah Gary's put the guitars down and he's got a very um unique style I mean he, mm. he co-wrote a lot of the Jeff Buckley stuff oh, nice. um, really a, a amazing guitarist you know and um so you know I mean he, he has a style when he's playing that kind of thing and um he was using a lot of kind of trippy effects as well because we were going to do this thing about Prague ghost stories and some of it was just horrific you know I, I kind of bottled some of the lyrics to be brutally honest because I just couldn't imagine singing something that brutal yeah of the music <laughs> <laughs> um but, the, but this the, the, the one track in question I think it was the procuress of Karmelitska street you know <laughs> it was just totally messed up that's a good uh, title Oh God, yeah, I kind of reined it in a bit, <laughs> and, um, but I had free reign as well, you know, I had to kind of, uh, you know, do this kind of narrative thing, you know, somebody gets killed in the middle of the track or whatever. <laughs> oh yeah, it's a bit messy, but yeah, that, he, he was happy. <laughs> is that project available anyway? Can we, can we listen to that? Yeah, I think Gary re-released it and it also came out on um, the Ghosts of Prague, which is this band in the Czech Republic that exists and you know whenever we can get it together we did some gigs a few years ago but obviously i mean he lives in america mm. a lot of the musicians come from the czech avant-garde jazz thrash scene you know and um uh so they're in czech i'm in the uk you know the the, the link was my band carva carva we used to gig a lot in the czech republic and that's how i got to know some of these cats you know Nice, I'll have to hear some of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll send it. It's, it's, some of it's horrible, actually. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like, whoa! <laughs> Please don't play that to many people. <laughs> no, no, I'm proud of it. It is cool. It is yeah. Cool. It's, it's, very, it's very it's, different. Yeah. It's great that you've been able to do that, to do so many different things. It must be such an interesting way of doing it and fun thing to just, you know, work with so many different people. And well, I mean, that, that Kino thing is all about love and, you know, it's very uplifting, isn't it? And the antithesis of that is probably this ghost of Prague, <laughs> a horror story. <laughs> one, one end to the other. Yeah. And how do you find it, keep it real and interesting? Yeah. How do you find what's like? Is there any kind of major differences that you find working solo ones? I mean, you know, working collaboratively from a distance, I guess, or working collaboratively, like say when you work with Carver Carver, and you, I guess, you do that stuff together a lot of the time of building yeah. the songs. But this time, it's a lot more working. Remotely, how did that? Well, Carver Carver, I mean, the band uh, kind of evolved over a number of years. We, we had a good innings, you know, we, we gigged in China, the States, and. I remember we gigged together one time in Huddersfield with Carver Carver. 
in uh, with the blues band. No, Cava Cava, years ago. First time I met you, I think it was uh, Welcome Fest, is what it was on that rugby pitch. Oh, of course, yeah. No, I yeah. thought. No, I saw you in my friend's garden before that. The, the original Welcome Fest. Oh, that was the year before, wasn't it? Yeah. The Amitu's album, uh, um, Garden, you know. And, um, yeah. Yeah, I remember having a chat. That was a wicked day. And then that evolved into the um, the one on the, the, the rugby pitch. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that gig. Yeah, Carver played that. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, by that point, it was kind of a new bunch of lads that, you know, just to keep the dream alive kind of thing. I kept the band going. Um, and um, yeah, we had a good innings. We did most of Europe, the Glastonbury a lot of a lot of times and a lot of festivals like um, Beijing MIDI Festival, that was amazing. Lots of big gigs in Hungary, you know, uh, did some in Germany, France, all over really. Uh, but it's all DIY and um, towards the end, uh, I, I did manage to get it signed to a, a label in the 90s called Delirium Records, who were, I guess, most famous for Porcupine Tree, who were very proggy. I don't know if you've come across them. They, they're a bit more like Pink Floyd. They, they became massive in the States, you know, huge audiences. And um, Carver Carver were kind of tapped to that scene, really. But by the third album, it was clear that we didn't really belong to that proggy world. We were more, how did the enemy put it? We were like, we were a bit King Crimson, but if George Clinton had joined them. So it were a bit Parliament Funkadelic meets, you know, King Crimson. And then by the third album, we were really into samplers and we were really into electronic music. So that then, it, you know, helped evolve the band. And it was at that moment that I started kind of getting my keyboard out and kind of getting all these mad squelchy riffs. And some of those tracks, I think in particular, Bank Job, Sick Fuck, sorry about that swear word, and um, Terrorists, they all started with like keyboard riffs. And um, they ended up in shows like Boys and Girls Guide to Getting Down, which was a really good independent film in America. Um, but possibly the best sync that we managed to get was one that Jason started as a track. Jason was a bass player and he was really clued up with Cubase and stuff like that. It was a track called Tick. Um, and that ended up in John from Cincinnati, which was an HBO production. Nice. Um, and it only lasted one series because of the writer's strike. And there were 24 tracks in that series. And it was all absolutely huge acts like news and TV on the radio and Bob Dylan and Elvis Costello, took, you know, and um, David Byrne. And then there was this kind of band no one had heard of whatsoever. <laughs> like, so like people were going, who are these knobheads kind of thing? And like, we managed to see a bit of a spike in the, uh, the, the sales for the, the single. And that was on my label, Chocolate Fireguard. But that, that, that track, Tick, was more, uh, you know, Jason kind of got most of that together in advance of me putting a vocal over the top of it. So it's a bit like, you know, the dance collaborations later on, mm. where a lot of the other Carver stuff was kind of, I'd start a riff and then we'd build a track like that. And then I'd have to leave the vocal over the top of that. You know, um, it was rare in Carver Carver that we started vocal down. Mm. I wish we had actually, because uh, I think that's probably how you're meant to write songs, isn't it? Maybe. Well, whatever gets the job done. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
maybe not who knows yeah i mean i, I like to work in different ways you know yeah. and, uh, i've managed to do i've committed jazz fraud over the years i, I had a, a period where i went out with matt bourne who's an amazing pianist and another a number of other jazz cats and um we used to laugh i, I was like my god i'm really committing jazz fraud here that's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> fraud. <laughs> going all abstract over the top of it we got away with it which is not surprising because people like Matt Board and Dave Kane and Keith Freight, they they were really, really good jazz musicians. But I still think I was taking the piss, you know, <laughs> with, it, with my shooby doo. <laughs> Just throwing a bit of scat every now and then. Yeah, but that was totally improvised, you know. Uh, so that's another way of composition, isn't it? Just doing yeah. it there and then. You know, interesting too, yeah. yeah. Great stuff. Um, cool, so let's move into uh, section two now. Now we had a few tips in there, but... This is yeah. where you have, I guess, to have a, a particular songwriting tip for us. Uh, so have you got a particular one in mind for us, Pat, that you've not already told us about? I think we've probably covered a lot of that in, in the last section, but mm. um, I would say you've got to be aware of your environment if you're collaborating, which I think is something I can bring to this. I'm more of a collaborator than a singer-songwriter, aren't I? Mm. So it's probably a good idea to ask what lyrics they don't like. I mean, that can open a can of worms, you know. One guy once came back to me and went, well, as long as you don't sing about necrophilia. And I was going, well, frankly, I wasn't thinking about singing about that. But anyway, it's then not, you're like, not well, it down too well, who am I working with? If that's the first thing that comes out of their mind. You know, I mean, but, um, you know, it's a safe bet to ask, you know, what don't you like? And also, are there any artists that you really like? Because you could be giving them something which is just totally not suitable. Mm. particularly if you're singing in different genres you know and i um, guess when, I when you go some Prague stuff on drum and bass you know there's, there's absolutely no way they would probably well i've yet to hear a drum and bass artist fuse that kind of jazz horror soundtrack vocal over an uplifting <laughs> drum and bass track <laughs> as i'm saying that that is actually starting to appeal to me because i think it'd be quite funny to see a load of kids raving and not realizing <laughs> what the vocals were about but I can't yeah. imagine it's going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> be a gap in the market. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, when you when you talk about um, what lyrics people don't like, do you does that come in terms of like themes or like you know like particular words or is it yes yeah, it like subjects yeah. and themes or? I, I'm not very good at girl meets boy, boy meets girl. You, you know those kind of oh I'm heartbroken, but at the same time I do like heartbreak in in, in lyrics. You know, so it's a way of how do you kind of put that into a track and not freak out your collaborator? You know, you might decide it's too soppy, you know, or you might, you might decide you're a complete psychopath. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it, if you don't know them, it's really hard, isn't it? Yeah. Whereas if you're in a band and you, you tour like we do with Carvers, you go all, all over the place, then you kind of, you really, you probably know too much about your bandmates. <laughs> so yeah, you, testify to that. That can, that can go into the pot, can't it? You know? Mm. Yeah, mm. must yeah, that must be an interesting way of doing it, doing it that way, and not. Do you do you ever like? Do you still get that? Do you still get nervousness when you're sending stuff back to people? Do you hug yeah. people that kind of stuff? Expectations in dance music that can be a that can be tricky. Mm. Um, you know, at the end of the day, especially if you're trying to earn a living out of it, you, you've kind of got to you know put your foot down sometimes and talk about the business side as well, which yeah. kind of kills the party, doesn't it? Yeah. But it shouldn't do, should it? Because, you you know, at the end of the day, if you're providing a vocal for a track and that's going to help it achieve 
some kind of status, probably a status that you're unaware of as well, because you might not be part of that scene. But you do need to to cover your, cover your your interests as well. So once you get over that, you know you can um, maybe experiment with the vibe, and uh, hopefully not freak them out too much. Yeah. <laughs> Does that answer your question? Sorry, I'm, 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 I think I'm, so. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just I'm kind of thinking of in terms of when I when I'm working by myself on something, then there's always that I still get it now, like a little bit of nerves when I'm sharing it with someone. And I guess yeah. one of the one of the differences there is like when you're working with different people all the time that 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 little bit of nerves comes again whereas like if i'm doing it with the band like people i know very well then like obviously it's not it's not a big deal to share something with them that you've created because you know them that well but when you're sharing it with new people that you don't know how they're <laughs> going to react you still get that little bit of like is this is this any good or is this so also my own stuff i mean I've, I've sat on an album full of electronica that i wrote on, on in ableton that i'm really proud of in some ways but i've still not finished it i mean you've probably seen those memes going around with like skeletons in front of <laughs> it's a case of that i'm afraid you know and yeah i'm not that great on the technical side i can do it you know so i don't really know what i'm doing when it comes to hi-hats and kicks and stuff like that so that's really nerve wracking if I send something like that out, which is totally, totally me, you know. Um, and in a sense, you're looking for people to share the, share the kind of um, the worry, aren't you, when you collaborate? Yeah, yeah. You know, if there's a few of you, it doesn't feel like it's a total failure, does it? When it just goes tits up or whatever, <laughs> unless it turns into a bun fight. It's your fault. I told you that <laughs> lyrics were bad. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I get nervous, you know, I, I do. And um, but sometimes it's good to leap it, leap into the absurd. And, I, you know, I've done some gigs where I've looked back and gone, Pat, how the hell did you do that? You know, you, you've just got up and pretty much freestyled in, in front of a big audience. You don't do that kind of thing. Yeah. You, you do that. And, I, and if I'm going to be honest about it, I would have been terrified that I would have gone bollocks to it. I'm just going to do it. And if I fall splat on the uh, the rocks, and so be it, you know. Yeah, and does that, does that magic at gigs in certain crowds can just bring, you know, it's kind of even like you're in some kind of trance state and a lot of family gigs. I find that come off sometimes like, what the hell happened there? How did, what, how did that happen? <laughs> how did they end up doing that thing? You and almost something about that energy. Done that. I did it as a drummer once. I fell off a drum riser in the middle of a track. I'm not really a good drummer, but like, <laughs> I just fell off and the band stopped and just sort of, you know, turned around and looked at an empty empty stage <laughs> the drama was there <laughs> that was really interesting and also like um obviously in the 90s i think it's fair to say that carva carva were a bit party orientated let's say and um yeah i was in some interesting states <laughs> on stage and i wondered how the hell i got through a gig and i'm, I'm pretty sure it was the same for the other band members you know, I think we've lost band members in the middle of sets and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, yeah. where's the bass gone or what happened to the guitarist? <laughs> but uh, yeah, it can be really nerve wracking, can't it? And and also when you, I mean, I've run a label as well. I've run, I used to run Chocolate Fireguard a few years ago. I, I put a few few releases out there. It was it all started on a kind of a, a business scheme and into business scheme. I think I was on the dole you know, kind of trying to pull myself out of that. And I, my mad plan was to release music, which of course is really <laughs> tough as I say it now. And, um, you know, 
that was quite nerve-wracking you know the idea that you could you, you you were offering this offering these compilations or you know single artist products out there and sometimes people could be quite mean you know with what they say but often they don't know why they're saying it i mean i've had a track that i took into a record shop for some direct sales once and they said it was rubbish but you know it's polite actually they really really did pan it about how crap it was and then two years later the same track was signed to a label and it was listed in the same shop and they were going on about how amazing it was so go figure yeah, <laughs> yeah. it can be nerve-wracking can't it yeah and that's that's i mean that's a good point to remember in terms of like people's subjective responses to things uh, yeah. not be you know like because one person says it's rubbish doesn't mean it is and there's you know there's so many stories like that isn't there where great artists who at the start yeah. people didn't take didn't take the music at all and a lot of times that same thing you know like you said there like when you went in and did it and then they were dismissed it but then when it was signed to a label and coming in a lot of time that's the thing isn't it? If, if it's kind of like endorsed by a, a bigger yeah. thing then people are like, oh yeah it was great whereas they didn't like it when it's independent yeah. yeah is it rubbish i mean also i mean i got into this mindset i kind of drifted into music development at one point um i got incredibly frustrated by the lack of music support in the area it seemed really weird that you know there were these big organizations here but nobody was like plugging into what was known as the british music partnership and as a volunteer i, I, I was saying earlier before this wasn't i that i kind of plugged into that and i, I started repping bands that what i had no kind of interest in it i was doing it just to promote the region and you know get it you know where it should be uh, at events like me them and south by southwest and in that environment you're not allowed to say that a particular style of music is crap mm. you can't you shouldn't anyway because yeah. at the end of the day why, why dismiss a musical genre when you don't know anything about it yeah. i mean I, for years i was kind of uh, explaining drum and bass to my old rock friends and they were going oh it sounds all it all sounds the same and i was going yeah but i guess if you took a drum and bass kid into a thrash metal club, they'd probably say that as well. They'd probably go, all those thrash metal tracks sound exactly the same, you know? So it's weird, isn't it? It's kind of yeah. like... Yeah, it's not good and bad. It's just what people like, what, people, yeah, what yeah, you like, yeah, what you yeah. don't like. It's, uh... So you can't really do that. So I mean, I, I found myself working with all kinds of genres that I didn't actually know anything about, to be honest, like indie yeah. bands. It was more about getting bands that were ready to the market you know to south by southwest or whatever and helping them out in that way it didn't come down to whether i liked it or not it came down to whether they were ready and whether they had their ducks in a row and whether there were labels involved and you know how we could help those labels and stuff like that so it was a different mindset so generally yeah. speaking i i don't like this kind of dismissal culture within the music industry i i kind of think it's brain dead and unnecessary it's yeah. good to see good in all music really at the end of the day yeah definitely you know, whether it's going to be commercially viable or not is another question it's a different question isn't it? yeah <laughs> if you if you enjoy it or someone else is going to get some enjoyment out of it then case, case in point i've sessioned and i'm proud to say that i've sessioned for a guy called mr methane who actually pitches his farts for a living <laughs> he, is, um, he was managed Ooh. by um jethro tull's drummer barry Barlow. <laughs> <laughs> who had an affinity with wind instruments you know where i'm going with this and um mr methane who ended up having quite a good career on shows like euro trash he needed backing bands and stuff like that and uh i, I did backing vocals for him 
I was quite proud of those actually. I laid them all up really nicely and then he farted all over them. Uh, I played a bit of trumpet and I even played drums, presumably because Barry didn't want to play drums on, well, I can't blame him really. He'd been playing stadiums with Jethro. So I played some crap reggae beats, you know, as well as well as I could do. And, uh, wow. Yeah, well, that's it. You know, I wouldn't say that was rubbish. It was funny. <laughs> It's different, yeah. That's that's it. Check him out, Mr. Methane. Mr. Methane yeah, I'll, I'll look him up. <laughs> is he still going? Do you know? He can actually pitch his parts. He really can. That's it's amazing. not a pitch. He really can be musical with his with his art. <laughs> that's I love to hear. That to believe it. That's. Uh... <laughs> I'm not sure what you'd do about songwriting points on any of that. <laughs> yeah, maybe that'd be an interesting guest if I got him on here. <laughs> yeah, the lawyers in. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, Cool. Yeah, let's move on. That's on on the topic of Mr. Methane. Let's move on to the next uh, next subject. Uh, well, this is section three of the podcast where I ask my guests to share with us a song that's meaningful to them in some way. It's a bereavement, and I know you've not chosen Mr. Methane song for this one. No, uh, no, <laughs> I could have done actually, but uh, it could have been the death of me as a musician, presumably. <laughs> yeah. But what I do for this part, is I I'll put the link in the description. Uh, so if you're not familiar with the song, you want to go listen to it. You can do, um, and we'll have a chat about it. So, what song did you choose for this part? Well, I mean, I, I struggled with this because I don't know many tracks about bereavement. Well, not overtly, um, um, but um, it's a track that I've always um, loved ever since I was a young rocker. And I've chosen um, Still In Love With You by Thin Lizzy, but the live and dangerous version, you know, the live one with uh, Scott Gorham on guitar and Brian Robertson on guitar and, you know, and the amazing vocalist that is um, Phil Linnett. I absolutely love this version. So, uh, yeah, why did you choose that one first? It's a great track. Right. Um, over time, um, it became associated with my mother's passing. You know, um, she'd been suffering from cancer for many, many, many years. This is in the 90s. Um, and which was really hard for me because I was in Yorkshire and she was living in London. Um, and I guess I'm thankful that I was there uh, when she did pass away. Um, very tricky time, um, a very strange feeling to be honest. As she passed away, my hearing went with her. I don't know if you've you've covered this kind of thing on your podcast, um, and I know I know this because um, her beloved Siamese cat became increasingly reverbed and sounded more and more distant. And I had to snap myself out of it really. Um, but anyway, getting back to the track, um, you know, I, I would never be able to write a song about bereavement, uh, specifically about my mother. I think, I, I think it would be a bit too upsetting really. Mm. But um, I was over in Prague um, doing a blues album and this would have been in the mid nineties, you know, um, I bumped into some, some great players and um, they had this idea that I could do some blues. And of course I really liked the blues, but I'd not really done much. I'm a big fan of Jimi Hendrix and stuff like that. And um, I, uh, I recorded this blues album, a fantastic studio run by a friend of mine called Richard Mader, Faust, Faust Studios in Prague. And towards the end of the session, uh, I. I thought, you know what, I'll, um, I'll try Still In Love With You. I just felt I needed to do it. Uh, it was very spontaneous and it got together with the keyboard player. And, and, and as I sung it, 
I realized um, that I was still grieving from my mother. I was messed up by the fact that I'd split from my girlfriend. And I was thinking of Phil Linnett's mother, Philomena, as well. And it really did get to me. And, um, but I delivered quite a decent version of Still in Love with You. Um, and um, it came out on an album. Uh, and then moving forward from that, I ended up uh, incorporating it into a kind of a more of an uplifting dance track, which became quite a big deal in house circles in New York. It was signed to Subliminal Records, who were really big at that time. So it kind of went off in another direction, you know. Um, but, you know, the song, even more so now that I recorded it, you know, after my mum had passed, mm. it, it just kind of, I just associate it with bereavement. It's a very sad song. Mm. It really gets to me. And I think the emotion that is put into it by the guitarists and Phil Linnett, particularly on that live version, is just amazing. Yeah. You know. Was it a song? Was it a song your mum was fond of particularly, or was it just or was it unconnected to your mum in that sense? But just that it it kind of released that thing in you. It just released it in me. I, you know, I, I kind of connected with Thin Lizzy as a as a as a kind of an eighteen year old boy. I reckon it's kind of like rock and roll. You know, I loved all the kind of the up tempo ones, Bad Reputation, and all that. But that were the that were the the cheesy tearjerker track, wasn't it? I think, which I really liked, and. Um, I think it was me kind of realizing that I was really struggling with the whole bereavement thing, and it came out as I was singing that. But you know, I hadn't, I hadn't totally got to terms with it for two years previously. I'd just been filling up my time doing stuff for other bands and doing projects, mm. anything but face up to the fact that I was messed up over my mum's passing. And it was by performing that track, I think I realized, you know, there's just something, there's, there's loads in that tune. I know it's dedicated to his mother as well. You know, and I think that's what triggered me really. Um, there's a lot of pain in that track, the way that Finn Lizzy uh, perform it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's amazing how that can happen sometimes in a certain song, just oh, brings God. it out here. I was interested yeah. to be saying that. You lose your parents, you're still in love with them, aren't you? You, you know, it's, Loads of regrets, you know, it's, it's heavy. Yeah. It's yeah. really heavy. And I think Phil Linnett really got it right there. Even though I must say his mother was still alive when he wrote it, you know, but increasingly you kind of, you kind of sense that it is about his relationship with his mother as well. I don't, I don't know why that is, but I think he might have even dedicated it a few times live in various, you know, I was obsessed with that track for a bit, you know, yeah. as you are when you're a boy, aren't you? You just kind of go and get all the different versions. And you're like, yeah, yeah, it's a great so, track how they stood on stage, all that kind of stuff, you know. <laughs> I was suggesting you saying about losing your hearing uh, when you went past. How long did that last for? Um, I don't know. It was a very emotional yeah. uh, afternoon. Um, but yeah, it was it was crazy. I, you know, it was like the cat was meowing and it was getting more and more distant. And it was like somebody was putting a huge reverb on it. Right. And... Um, and it was getting, yeah, I, I, had to, I really had to pull myself out of it. It was like I was traveling, you know, um, must have been for a few minutes. Well, must have been scary. Yeah, it is and it's not, you know, it's, yeah. it is what it is, I think. 
Um, but I, yeah, I think I kind of channeled that into still in love with you, my version of it anyway. Um, I didn't realize until I started trying to sing it. You know. mm. is, that version, is that version available anywhere? Um, yeah, yeah. I mate, yeah, there are a few versions out there. There's um, one on a blues album, uh, Pat Fulgoni Live in Prague, but I think that ended up with some cello on it and keyboards and vocal and a big guitar solo on it. It was that kind of album. Mm. And um, when we did a version under the name, don't laugh, I put it out as Jesus Haystacks on a white label. Nice. Are you aware of giant haystacks from the 70s? You know, the, the wrestler. All right. Uh, You're younger I know the name. Yeah. yeah. So I had this kind of pseudonym called Jesus Haystacks, which um, ended up being shortened to Jay Haystacks because I always think humour belongs to music, but sometimes people are a bit more serious, aren't they? But um, this was a very serious house label and um, it came out in two parts with tons of different remixes. And it was a, it was a big deal, I think. Um, even though, I, yet again, it's another scene I'm not particularly a part of, but I've dipped in as a, as a singer. Um, I understand that Gatecrasher had it in their top 10 of the year. I know that DJs like Roger Sanchez well, I on the radio going about how it's the biggest track he's heard and how it's welling him up and all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, it, it did it did really well, and that's on Subliminal Records, but it's under the pseudonym J Haystacks. They denied my Jesus. In fact, when the DJ magazine rang up to find out about it, I I didn't know what to say. I told them that <laughs> Jesus was from Brazil, <laughs> and they went away thinking Jesus Haystacks was Brazilian. <laughs> nice Strange story um, but it's a lot more uplifting you know what i mean it's uh, we put an uplifting vibe to it uh, I've, I've yet i've yet to do i mean i've played with your band as a with my blues band haven't i i've got this yeah yeah new band called the pat Fulgoni blues experience which has uh been corona blues as i've been trying to get it together and i've yet to play still in love with you in that band but I've got some dates in the Czech Republic in November at a blues festival. Touchwood will be allowed to do that with the whole Corona thing. Yeah, I'm probably, yeah. yeah, I kind of suspect that it's more a case of whether they'll let us in, you know, rather than the other way around. Um, and um, I might try and get it together for that because we do have a bit of Thin Lizzy in the Pat Fulgoni blues experience. Yes. Um, we do a slow version of Don't Believe a Word and it, it's got a bit of that vibe to it. That's a great track too. Yeah, what yeah, about big up thin yeah. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Uh, well, I'll tag your page and stuff in here, and yeah, so you've, got, you've got your own website, I'm assuming. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm more on social media. I've got like a, a Facebook, Pat Fulgoni official, cool. an Instagram with my name on it. I suppose um, you need to spell it properly to find it. So it's F U L G O N I. I've answered to a lot worse. <laughs> um, and um, I've got a YouTube channel as well that you can find a lot of the drum and bass stuff and a lot of my live blues stuff on youtube.com forward slash Pat Fulgoni. Cool. So yeah, people can check out your stuff and uh, look at some of them, some of them songs we've talked about throughout the podcast. Oh, well, um, yeah. yeah, thanks a lot for joining me, Pat. I appreciate oh, your time. Thank, thank you. I hope, I hope that was coherent. Yeah, no, that's been great. Yeah, lots of good <laughs> We had a stuff. few problems with the DIY next door. Now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. poor start as well. I couldn't seem to make much sense. <laughs> You almost invented a new pseudonym for me as well. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, all good, man. All good. So yeah, I appreciate your time. And, big, up uh, the, big, big up the band as well, you know. Um, Blind Jones experience. I love it. <laughs> <laughs>
Thanks, man. Played, uh, together at the Marsh Blues Festival. Yeah, hopefully we're back oh, uh, gigging again soon. Yeah, no, I hope I hope they uh, get that back on after all this Corona nonsense. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. Right, and uh, thanks for tuning in, everyone. I'll be back with another episode soon.